You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning and welcome to the Classic Car Show, only on America's Web Radio. And we've been doing something uh, fun and very interesting, and we hope uh, it has created a lot of thoughts and given some people some ideas, uh, particularly you grandparents, of things that you can do with your uh, grandkids in the, in the coming year and in the past year since we've been doing it. And... Um, that is, uh, we've been interviewing uh, folks that own or executive directors or curators of auto museums. And not unlike other weeks uh, previously, we're going to do the same today. And joining me in the studio is Mr. Jim Weber. Our uh, hair guy, Mr. Steve Ronaldo, is uh, in uh, Virginia, I suppose. The, and, the uh, uh, Brill Cream Kid is Brill. in Williamsburg. Yep. He is in Williamsburg yep. taking in Christmas, and uh, he and his bride are enjoying um, the holidays up there and all the de- decorations. I'm sure they do uh, quite oh, a thing. It is. Quite yeah. a thing. Yeah, Colonial Williamsburg. But today we have um, um, Mr. Tim Dye is... Uh, with the Pontiac Oakland Museum. In fact, I say with, he is the Pontiac Oakland Museum. Uh, He has been in the hobby of uh, classic cars, particularly Pontiacs, for years and years, and uh, we welcome him to uh, America's Web Radio. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Uh, Morning, Tim. Good morning. Happy uh, Saturday. So, you're the Pontiac guy, so I can talk Royal Oak Bobcats and uh, Titus Godshall Trans Am cars and all sorts of things with you this morning, I guess. You sure can. Well, tell us, uh, how long have you had the museum and how did you get started? Well, it uh, opened in July of uh, 2011, um, and basically when... GM announced they were dropping the Pontiac. I kind of jokingly, you know, commented to my wife that it was up to us now to kind of carry on the history because if they didn't care about selling new Pontiacs, they certainly didn't care about preserving the history. So uh, with that, we got the paperwork going to start a 501c3 uh, for a Pontiac in Oakland Museum. And... uh, we, at the time, we were living in Oklahoma, so we did that. And on a trip to uh, the Chicago area to help uh, the Pontiac Club get set up for one of their national conventions, we happened to stop in Pontiac on our way back to Oklahoma. And I saw the sign on the highway and thought, you know, anything to do with Pontiac, I'm all about it. So uh, I, we stopped there. And it was a Sunday afternoon, and this was August 1st, 2010. And so uh, we met uh, a young lady at one of the museums. They already had there a, a wall dog museum, which is about the, all the murals they have in town. And um, as I was leaving, I, I just turned and said, you know, if you guys ever think about doing a, a Pontiac car museum, give me a call. 
And actually, the next day, the mayor called me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he said, how, you know, uh, how would you like to move your collection to Pontiac, Illinois? So that started the conversation, uh, and we spoke, of course, on the phone. Um, and about a month or a month and a half later, I was invited to speak in Auburn at the Auburn Court Duesenberg Museum. And so we stopped by Pontiac and visited with them, and they showed us a building that was going to be becoming vacant. And uh, we just met, and then I said, well, if you guys are really serious, you need to come and see us in, in Oklahoma. So about another month later, the mayor and the city administrator, I picked them up at the airport in Tulsa with my 64 safari wagon, and we <laughs> met for a couple of days and talked pretty serious about what it would really take to do a Pontiac Museum. And they looked at the collection and what they were dealing with. And so then we came back and gave a presentation to the city council. And on January 3rd, 2011, they approved an agreement between the museum and the city. And uh, on the 4th, I started packing and they started renovating the building. And then on the 23rd, of July, less than a year of me walking into town, we had the grand opening for the very first and only Pontiac Museum. That's that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to ask. I've I've only owned one Pontiac, and that was a GTO, and uh-huh. that was without a doubt the fastest car I've ever owned, even faster than my Austin Healey, but. The the problem, I, and I bought it used uh, from a friend and, and knew the history of it, had it in my back pocket, but that car literally, I could not take off with street tires in first gear. It just mm-hmm. sat there and burned uh, uh, rubber. What was it, a 389 with a tri-power? Yeah, uh, it had um, uh, a, a big four-barrel on it. Okay. Big four-barrel. Yeah. You could watch yeah. the gauge go down. You know? <laughs> the gas gauge. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it, it would just sit there and smoke. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, I four just, on the floor. Hurts yeah. four on the floor. Yeah, yeah. 411 gears, probably. Yeah. So, well, oh, well, let's, Tim, tell me, um, geographically, how close are you to Dixon? Are you in that area? I know you're uh, on. No, we're, we are on um, I-55. Uh, Route 66, right. about 100 miles south of Chicago. So within an hour and a half or so of Chicago, uh, okay. you can be in Pontiac. And then we're about 35 miles uh, northeast of Bloomington, the right. normal area. Are you by Lincoln, Illinois? No, well, no that's, that's quite a bit further south. Okay, all right. I'm just trying to get perspective. Yeah. So you are on Route we're, 66. Yeah, it, it's an agricultural uh, community. Of course, you know, farming is big. Uh, uh, Pontiac is only has 12,000 people, but we have four museums there now. So the tourism has really become important uh, there in Pontiac. Oh, that's great. Um, and you're open year-round? We are. We're uh, uh, seven days a week. Uh, we only get like uh, four days off that we close a year. We're pretty serious about it. And uh, during the winter time, our hours are um, ten to four, but in the in the summer it's nine to five. Beautiful. I bet you're busy in the summer. Yeah, very busy. Of course, 
uh, we get people from all over the world uh, doing Route 66. Even a lot of people who live near 66, you know, unless you get involved with something like what we're doing, you just don't realize uh, how popular that is with people from all over the world. Uh, when you have, like, motorcycle groups from the Czech Republic pull up, it just makes you think, wow, you know, it has to be like that, that they have a club for Route 66, and they come twice a year and, and to do it. Uh, Beautiful. That's pretty amazing. You never know who you're going to run into. Oh, that that's incredible. And they're talking about reviving the TV show. That, yeah. uh, Hemmings had an article about a week or so ago, and I guess George Maharis is probably not going to do it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I well, wouldn't think so. Yeah, no. that would really be something if they revived that. Marty, Martin Milner and Martin uh, Milner and George, George Maharis. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, those were the two and guys. And they have met recently and talked about turning Route 66 into a national park. Now, how wow. do you... Uh, actually do that i'm not sure but i know if that happens that would again spark a lot of activity along the road because then a lot of the the buildings and the different things along the route would then be eligible for different sorts of grants and and things like that right you know now when it comes down and goes through texas through amarillo it's basically been a deserted highway they would literally have to go back in and resurface i mean almost start from scratch yeah uh, you still have sites there like the Big Texan and and the Cadillac Ranch that people stop to see all the time. Yeah. Yes, they do, and then they stop and eat that seventy-two pound steak in Amarillo. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let let's kind of uh, keep getting some stuff information from you. Okay, the Pontiac car in the city of Pontiac, Illinois, and of course there's a city of Pontiac, Michigan too. And there's a Chief Pontiac because all the old Pontiac dealers used to have a statue of Chief yeah, Pontiac no. or an oil painting of him in the showrooms. Have, yeah. Do you have and, either uh, of those? Do you have a, a, a statue or the oil painting of Chief Pontiac? We have both. We wow. Have both. We, uh, uh, we have an extensive collection of Pontiac memorabilia, and the painting was an award painting that you could have gotten, earned, at the dealership in in the early 50s, but it was actually painted in 1936, the original, uh, uh, by an artist named Jerry Farnsworth. Uh, The children of Pontiac, Michigan held a penny drive on the 10th anniversary of the Pontiac Motor Division and hired Jerry Farnsworth to paint the official rendering of Chief Pontiac for the Pontiac Motor Division. And they use that in many different ways in ads, on brochures. And one of the most popular uh, was for this painting. And then the statue was something the dealership could have bought as a uh, showroom decoration. And they're today kind of rare and and just it's an awesome piece. They're made out of what's called horsehair plaster and then painted to look like wood. And they, they're life-size, and they would have put them in the, the showroom. So, yeah, the, the image of Chief Pontiac was very, from day one, you know, with the hood ornaments and oh, the yeah. advertisement, the you know, ol- there was images now, of the chief. I wonder if this would be PC today. <laughs> you mean politically you know, correct? Yeah. Uh, Who cares? <laughs> we, well, 
We actually have gotten to know a descendant of Chief Pontiac throughout this deal. Wow. And she's an awesome gal, and she teaches in the Kansas area, and she goes back home to Michigan uh, once in a while, and when she does, she stops in and visits us. Oh, that's great. We have talked about that, actually, and she's quite okay with, how we're presenting her ancestor, you know. Sure. And we we've had some nice talks about that, but uh, and that's a whole other thing to get into. Well, by no <laughs> by, by no means was it making fun of no Chief Pontiac. It was honoring him. Yeah. My oh, God. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they did many things from the dealership. Like they had this whole series of Indian prints that were uh, designed to. Uh, depict Indian life in North America, and they were they did a lot of research and really wrote. You know, it it, it showed them you know hunting, fishing, building their homes, doing you know, and it's from the Seminoles in Florida all the way to the Indians in Alaska, and so and those are still kind of collectible today. But yeah, very serious about depicting the Indian and yeah. in North America. Well, and, and I remember uh, Strato, uh, Pontiac, it was a Strato Cruiser, wasn't it? That uh, well, They had a Strato Streak V8. Yeah, yeah. That came out in 55. Right. And uh, the hood ornament was illuminated earlier, like 52, 53, when they were straight eights, if I remember rightly, correct? Yeah. yeah. Beginning in 49, they had a standard hood ornament, which was all chrome, and an optional one that lit up. Yes. And there's a yeah. lot of people remember seeing that chief coming down the road lit up. Yes. Oh, that's great. Now, let's talk about how this all goes together with Chief Pontiac, or or how did how did that happen? That was it because the town was named Pontiac where they started building uh, the vehicles in Pontiac, Michigan, or or what brought all this together, Tim? Well. There was a lot of things uh, named after the chief from, oh, the 1870s to the late 1920s. This whole period, there was many, many things uh, named after Chief Pontiac, and I've done quite a bit of research on that. Um, He actually lived from 1720. He was born at the fork of the Maumee and Allglaze River in Defiance, Ohio, and he was killed in Cahokia, Illinois in 1769 and he's they took his body across the river and buried him in what was in the outskirts of st louis which is now on the corner of, of uh near broadway there down by the arch and there's a plaque on the side of a parking garage so what he was so famous for was after the english had defeated the french and taken over they encroached much more on indian land than the French did. The French just wanted to trade. So he got a lot of the tribes together to resist the English and was the most successful at doing that. So he's a very historic figure, you know, in North America. And so we were proud to name things after him in that period. And of course, a lot of, there's actually nine cities in the U.S. There's a, uh, they're all over, actually, mostly, of course, east of the uh, Mississippi. But Pontiac, Michigan was the largest. 
So in Pontiac Motor Division history, and many of the pieces I have, they say that it is named after the chief and not the city. Wow. So uh, okay. there is, right. a, you know, a lot of proof of that. And that's why they used him so much in their advertising. Well, why the museum fits so well in Pontiac, Illinois, of course, is because of this Route 66 thing. Right. Right. Tim, so, we're, yeah. Tim, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to stop you there. We gotta, we're got we up against, in fact, we're running a little bit late on a hard break. Uh, stay tuned. We'll okay. be back with Tim Dye right after this. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show. Uh, host Jim Weber is in at the uh, round table today, and we have Tim Dye from the Pontiac Oakland Museum. And uh, I know Jim knows about it. I don't. So, Tim, would you explain the connection of the Oakland uh, with the museum in Pontiac? Um, yeah, the basically in the uh, 1920s, GM, they had a meeting, and, and from this meeting came this slogan called a car for every person purpose. And so this is when they started adding the companion cars to, like, the, the LaSalle to the Cadillac and the Viking to the Oldsmobile. And so there was an Oakland motor car division that was owned by General Motors. The Oakland uh, sprang out from the Pontiac Buggy Company in Pontiac, Michigan in 1907. And then in 08, General Motors was formed. And in 09, GM bought the Oakland Motor Car Company. And so it was the third in the family of cars that uh, General Motors had. So in 1926, they added a companion car, the Pontiac, and it was a less expensive car. It was right above Chevrolet on the rung at GM, and so you were supposed to start out as a young man with a Chevrolet, and as you worked your way up through life and could afford more, you you went up through the General Motors family. Anyway, that was their plan. And then the Depression came along, and the more expensive Oakland didn't fare so well, so kind of a strange thing happened there where the, the parent went away and the companion car, the Pontiac, stayed because sales were much better because it was a, a less expensive car. So that's kind of in a nutshell the history how Oakland is involved. And 1931 was the last one. That's, hmm. yeah, yeah. And that's that, that explains 
a lot of the philosophy of GM, and I'm not going to get into the modern-day stuff because that's a whole nightmare, but with the Pontiac, they also built cars in Canada, if I remember rightly. The Parisienne, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they were just sheet metal changes, correct? No, no, it was much deeper than that. Um yeah, they had their whole own set of nomenclature there. They had a Laurentian, they had a Beaumont, they had the Parisian. And the big thing about it was there was a tariff back in the 60s and 50s to bring a car over. And I want to say it was around $800. And so when a car cost around 3000 or 3200 that was a lot of money. So you just didn't do that. And so... To the Canadian market was a more frugal market, so they had to come up with a way to bring cars to market a little less expensively. So what they did was use existing parts from Chevrolet that were built in Canada. <laughs> and so our, we have a 64 Parisian Safari wagon on display in the museum, and it has a Chevrolet chassis and a Chevrolet drivetrain in it. And so this creates a lot of interesting combinations. You could have gotten anything from a six-cylinder to a 409 with two fours in that wagon. And, uh, of course, if it was an American Catalina or Bonneville, it would have had a 389 or a 421. Right. So, uh, yeah, and also, if you'll remember, Pontiac introduced the wide-track cars yes. in 1959, and they literally had a wider track. So when you stuck this Chevrolet X-Frame under a Pontiac car, then it, the wheels are in kind of far, and it looks a little different. Hmm. And um, when a friend of mine first saw that, he goes, wow, you could really stick some big tires under the back of that car, <laughs> because there's a lot of space there. Yeah. But, you know, so the one we have has a 283 two-barrel, and it gets nearly 20 miles to the gallon, which is kind of an advantage with a big old car like that. It is. So, yeah, there was a lot of changes. We actually bought that car, my wife and I did, about 14 years ago in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And that's a whole other discussion you can have about what it takes to bring a collector car over the border. And uh, we had to have nine different things to, uh, you know, bring it over. And so you really got to do your homework and get all your ducks in a row when you do that. Yes. Yeah, you yeah. must have the greatest wife going if she's interested in, like you are, and, and uh, has gone along for all these years. That, that's our, our hats off to her. Yes, yes. Yes, yeah. Uh, tell us. told that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, alright, let, let's start with the museum content. What's the oldest one and up to the new one, and, and tell me how many cars you have, please. Okay, well, we we actually, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, the Pontiac history began with the buggy. Right. And uh, at the Pontiac Buggy Company. So we have one of two known Pontiac buggies on display. And there's actually a brass plate on the back of it, and it says the Pontiac Buggy Company, Pontiac, Michigan, and it has the chief on it, of course. Sure. And... Uh, so, and the, ours is all original, so we're very happy to be able to have that to display to show the beginning of the history. So that's an 1890s uh, buggy, so that would be our oldest. And the thing to remember about our museum, I, I want to say we're very active, 
in that we change the cars and displays all the time. And so we actually have quite a few people that just pop in and come back to see what we've done differently. And so we can put 17 cars at one time in the museum, uh, but we have right now 50 around town. Wow. And so be- between my collection, uh, the cars that have been donated to the museum, and ones that are on loan from collectors, we have a great variety of cars. And um, so we have that buggy is our oldest. Um, we have a 29 Oakland Roadster, a beautiful car that was donated on display. And then we have a last year uh, Oakland, the 31 Sport Coupe. And then we have a first year Pontiac, the 26. And uh, so that's kind of our, our early era cars. We have a 59 Bonneville, beautiful car. When the people from Europe come and see this car, they're like, that wouldn't even fit on our roads. It's <laughs> so big to them. Yeah. It's 18 foot, 2 inches long, and the styling of it makes it even look look 20 feet long. So mm. they're just, they just stand and stare in awe of that car. But And then uh, we actually have a 34 coupe and a 35 sedan. The 35 was donated as well, and we drive that a lot in the summer and gets used for all kinds of things. You can't even imagine how much we use that car. So we brought it in for display during the winter. And then um, we have two 65 GTOs on display because we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the GTO, you know, the 65s this year. Right. Each each September, if you remember back in the day, the cars were introduced in September. You could set your clock by it. Oh, yeah. Not well, we, we, we've talked many times growing up. Um, that was one of the things that you did in September was that you took off the night and you and one night you went around and all the windows had paper on them and you try and they'd they'd have one little corner up where you'd crawl around uh-huh. on the ground trying to look in the window to see and then the next night when they took the paper down you were you went to the to the uh, Chevy dealership you went to the Ford dealership you went from one dealership to the next to see what the new models look like. I mean, that was a thrill in Lubbock, Texas. Well, everywhere. Oh, everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a big deal to do that. And they would hire, you know, a band or a singer, and they would have uh, food. And it was elbow to elbow in the showrooms the day those cars were unveiled, you know, the new cars. Uh, it was fabulous. And, uh, um, yeah. The, the two GTOs that you have body style are they coupes no we have one one coupe and one uh or i should say a hard top and one convertible yeah Uh, they're both four-speed tri-powered cars oh david Uh, david is about to pass out over here (laughs) and they are beautiful by far the gto is the most popular pontiac the most collectible pontiac and you just can't have a pontiac museum without having at least one or two GTOs on display oh, yes. you know, all the time. So that's what we do is every September on the 50th anniversary of that year of GTO, we bring in two new GTOs. Oh, that's great. So, mine was the, mine was, and I can't remember the name, it was the gold GTO with the beige yeah. interior on it. Yeah. And it had, yeah. uh, it was the gold flux, is that is that right? 
Well, it was they, a lacquer painting, they, but it was. Uh, yeah, they had a special. Of course, they had to have unique names for them. But there was a tiger gold. Maybe and, that was. Uh, I can't remember what. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, and that's what one. That we have one uh, tiger gold, and it happens to have Hearst wheels. Which, if you remember, Hearst introduced their wheel in '65, and they used the GTO in all of their advertising. So. Um, that's kind of become a thing to put Hurst wheels on your 65 GTO. Yeah, and Redline tires. Absolutely. Yep. And yep. Jim, Jim Wangers, who was the promotion man, he's still with us today. Yep. Out speaking and stuff, he'll tell you that they chose that tire because when you burned rubber with that, it, it made more smoke than any other tire. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. So what's the newest one you have? Well, we have... Let's see. We just brought in, uh, oh, we have an 86 2 plus 2 Aero Coupe. And I don't know if you remember those. They were yep. made in very limited numbers. They were all silver yep. and designed for NASCAR right. uh, racing. And it's got 5,500 miles on it. So it's basically like a new car. And so currently that's the newest car we have on display. Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to think. Pontiac had the little sports car. Um, well, they had the Fiero. No, no, I'm talking the, about the la- that last one that came out. Oh, that the they Soltis. Sh- yeah, the Soltis and the Saturn uh-huh. had had their version the, of it. Yeah, the Sky. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting a little foggy lately. And the last Fiero oh. last year was the best one. Yeah, the 88. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah yep. I remember we, that. We have, right now we have a Fiero display with two Fieros. We have an 84 pace car, if you remember. The 84 yep. was the yes. pace car for the Indy 500. Yep. And we have an 88 that a gentleman turned into a road race car. Hmm. And we have wow. it on display. And, and we have an engineering chassis hanging on the wall. Uh, neat. There's a guy just north of Huntsville, Alabama... That has about fifty Fieros parked outside mm-hmm. as you come into Huntsville, and I think he's trying to corner the market on them. I tell you, I got to well, stop everybody right here. We've got to take our break. We'll be back with the Classic Car Show right after this. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. 
If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show, and we're proud to have as our guest today Mr. Tim Dye from the Pontiac Oakland Museum. And, um, Tim, we were just talking about the back in our day, my day, um, Jim's day, uh, the competition between the... Um, between the GTO and the 442 and uh, the Buick Grand Sport and, and, uh, and the Buick and, and the Chevy, uh, you know, uh, oh yeah, the 409 when it first came out, yep. and yep. I mean, it just we miss it. Uh, I guess we're yeah. so old and nostalgic, but there's nothing like that. And kids today have no, no. I guess they'd be killed probably in the process of. Where I'm, where I'm from, it was so flat you couldn't roll. So, um, but you know, it's, it's just it's something that it, yeah uh, is missed. Yeah, you know what I uh, always loved was a late '70s SD 455 Trans Am, and you mm-hmm. you could special order one of those without the rain gutters and the heavy duty suspension and. I remember seeing one of those at Art Moran Pontiac. Black. In, uh, no, silver. Black. Silver? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Art Moran Pontiac on Telegraph Road in, mm-hmm. in Detroit. He was a huge Pontiac dealer. And, yeah. uh, boy, that car, I still think about that. To heck with all the, the black ones in the movie, <laughs> but uh, I'd rather have that silver one. But anyway, I'm... I, getting too nostalgic let's go back and talk about your cars so you had the two gtos and you've got right. the fieros and and continue on with what you have in your inventory please well we also have a garage scene and we have a 62 tempest in there if you remember the 61 tempest was the motor train car of the year with the uh what they called the half and eight four cylinder Right. It had the rope drive with the transmission in the trunk. Yeah. And so that was a very unique drivetrain. And so we have restored one of those engines and have it on a stand so people can see it. It's, it's literally a 389 with one half of the bank of cylinders <laughs> cut off. And so, I love it. Uh, we get a lot of comments about that. And also, a very similar setup is in the new Corvettes today. So, uh, Pontiac was kind of ahead of their time there uh, with that. So that's another interesting vehicle we have. And then we just brought in two prototype cars, ah. which we're very, very proud to be able to display. One of them is a 1985 Grand Prix, which was the prototype leading up to the 86 2 plus 2 we were talking about. Mm. So at the museum right now, you can see this black prototype, which is on loan from the Richard Petty Museum. And next to it is the production version, one of the silver ones. And then close by is a 73, if you can picture this, a 1973 Grand Am station wagon prototype car. Wow, I don't even remember that. Yeah, it's because they only made the one, (laughs) and that's why it's a prototype. But it, it has a whole list of things you could not get on a wagon, such as, 
dual exhaust and a sunroof and bucket seats and it has the Grand Am dash and console. It's got a 455 with Ram Air. You can count on one hand how many 73 A-body Ram Air setups they made. It wow. was the first year for radial tires, so it had 15-inch honeycomb wheels with radial tires. Holy radial smoke. Radial suspension. It's an awesome prototype car, and it's still owned by a former Pontiac employee that bought it right when Pontiac released it. Wow. Um, can, can you imagine the engineering that went into making one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. so yeah. one. It's all hand-built. It was probably yeah. done at the tech center. Um, I want to talk about drag racing for a minute. Uh, by, the, by the way, before you get into that, yeah. Jim, let me interrupt. We've got your website on our on Ustream right now. We've uh, we've got a picture mm-hmm. of your front page and invite everybody to go to it. Uh it's uh, PontiacOaklandMuseum.com, uh, and you can go right to it. And uh, I'm sorry, dot org, and uh, yes, uh, go right to it and take a look at the, at the museum and and all they have to offer. And we invite any and everybody to do that. And when you're in the area, to please go by. I'm sorry, Jim. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no. I just uh, bought, I I'm just trying to reminisce a bunch of the stuff that we did as kids and. I think there was a guy named Arnie Beswick, Arnie the Farmer Beswick, that drag raced a Pontiac. That's right. Yeah. And he lives here in Illinois yep. still. Yep. And he, he still does nostalgia racing in his 80s. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God love know, him. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy and very personable. And uh, he, he had what was called the Tameless Tiger and that he raced and uh, uh so yeah he w- when pontiac pulled out in 63 of racing of well, all of gm did and it was a mandate they had to right um he continued racing the pontiacs and kind of carrying the pontiac banner uh when the corporation you know quit doing that and so as a result with the pontiac fans he's very popular still today yeah and he was actually brought a couple cars and came to our grand opening of the museum and signed autographs and so uh That's yeah cool. he's a, a great guy and pontiac yeah. at one time ruled you know nascar with their 62 and 3 super duty program and did very well at the drag strips as well yes yes um a bunch of gm engineers built a Pontiac stock car and I want to say it was in the 70s and one of the guys was uh, Tony DiLorenzo if I remember rightly and of course he's famous for racing Corvettes I wonder whatever happened to that stock car because apparently NASCAR didn't like it it must have been of the same school as Smokey Unix cars yeah I don't know in particular what happened to uh, he drove more than one Pontiac I actually have a picture of a I want to say it's about a 72 Trans Am that he did Trans Am racing. Right, with. yep. And then and, uh, Jerry Titus at Titus Godsall. Yep. 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 And the, with the 69 introduction of the Trans Am in 1969, we only made 697 of them that year. They were all white with blue stripes. Right. And they entered the SCCA, you know, Trans Am racing with that, that car. So that kind of began that era of, of the Trans Am, which the GTO being the most famous Pontiac, closely followed by the Trans Am. So. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, back in 65 or 6, somebody showed up with a Pontiac in the Trans Ams, but it was a, uh, I think it was a two-door uh, hardtop GTO, and, and they raced it briefly before the Firebird came out. Yeah, well, then also later, uh, Herb Adams put together a 64 right. Tempest or GTO called the Gray Ghost and did a very serious uh, racing with SCCA and, and so forth. Yes. So we, we just posted an early, early picture of that car on our Facebook page, and it, it got like 60,000 looks. Wow. So, um, yeah, that that's all Pontiac has a lot of uh, racing history. Tim, out of, out of your collection and the other cars that you have, how many, uh, you mentioned the fact that you take one of them out uh, during the summer and, and do a lot with it. Are, are most of your cars drivable, or are they uh, just They really the all are drivable, and that's one of the questions we get a lot at the museum. And um, we because we rotate them so much, the advantage of that is that you can get them out and drive them and do different things with them. I mean, we will have film crews from all over the world coming and doing something about Route 66. And, of course, you know, I always ask, well, would you like to ride or drive in an old car uh, for your video? And they they love that. And so uh, we've had National Geographic come to do their calendar, and we get the old cars out, and they photograph them, the travel channel, all these things that are doing a Route 66 theme, they all come and stop at the museum and um, and we get the cars out and uh, there's an episode of Corvette Nation coming up in a week or so that's going to have a Pontiac in it from the museum so uh, you just never know what's going to be you know the cars are going to get used for there was a Pontiac prototype back in 53 that had a center fin on the trunk lid that was Mm -hmm. to be competitive with the Corvette and I guess Chevy division decided they'd do it, and Pontiac didn't, and mm-hmm. uh, that car's still well, around, isn't it? Well, there's. I think you're combining two prototype cars there. The one with the fin is called the, the Firebird. Yes. They made three of those. It was a turbine car, but then the prototype car that was closely looked like, almost looked like a Corvette, was the Bonneville. Yes. And there's two of those, a gold, kind of a rusty gold and a green one, and one of those is coming up for auction again in January out at the Barrett-Jackson auction when they sell that uh, the Pratt collection. Right. Uh, so yeah. That one's going to come up again. So, yeah, the Firebirds, there was three of them, and they're at the Heritage Center in Michigan, and then that Bonneville prototype, like I said, will be auctioned off here real soon. Yeah. Do you ever get cars on loan from the Heritage Center? We have not. We've kind of started the discussion. Um, used to be GM would bring a, se- a couple semi loads to the Pontiac National Convention every year, and they kind of, when the times got tough there in 08, 09, they cut that out. Uh, but I have started discussion with them about possibly doing that. Uh, they did auction off a fair amount of cars, but they still have a lot of them. Yeah, so yeah. Now, that when, would be interesting. When is your Pontiac uh, National Meet in 2015? Well, it's going to be in Louisville, Kentucky this year, and it's going to be uh, in July. 
and I don't have the dates in front of me. The other major Pontiac convention is also in July in Columbus, Indiana, and that's the GTO Association of America's National Convention. Okay. All right. Well, that's two of them that people need to uh, circle in their calendar as soon as they find out the dates. Will you be posting those dates on your website soon? I will be. Okay. I will be. All right. Good. Um, we gotta. We gotta. Gotta stop everybody. Oh, uh, time goes so fast. But we gotta take a break. We'll be back with Tim Dye from the Pontiac Oakland Museum in Pontiac, Illinois. Right after this. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show uh, with host Jim Weber, and our guest today is Tim Dye from the Pontiac Oakland Museum in Pontiac, Illinois. And uh, we're glad to have you in here, uh, Tim. I get uh, I get two questions. Actually, uh, I only get one, but I've stolen the second one. So I'll ask you the first one. This is this is how technical they let me get here at the radio station, and that is, how many weddings have you had at your museum, and how many are planned? Well, we actually have never had a wedding in the museum, but we have had, and, and I was approached about this yesterday, by the way, we've had a lot of... That was my cousin. I sent sent my cousin up there to do that. Yeah. Well, we actually get a lot of couples that come in after the wedding for photographs with the old cars, and and we've used the old cars for proms and different things of that nature, too, for photography and and things. So not a wedding actually in the museum, though. Well, I I just have this feeling one is coming. (laughs) Could be. Could be. Anyway, the other question is that, and this is part of what our show is all about. Uh, we, we've we've always been focused on this, and and then with the museum idea, we've really started homing in on it more. But that is the fact that, uh, as quote unquote, they rewrite history. Unfortunately, the automobile and the importance of the automobile, particularly in the United States, and as the U.S. grew, it has. You know, it, it was 
the reason it grew. They can blame it on the railroads, but the real reality is when the cars came about and could go cross-country, there we go. So we're very interested in our, our mission of sorts, if we have a mission, is that we're trying to get kids uh, interested, not only interested in, but to find out and be taught the history of the automobile and how important it was to uh, getting, getting us where we are today. So my question is, what is your relationship? What do you all do with uh, kids up there? And and uh, how do you feel about, you know, we think it's the perfect uh, atmosphere for grandparents to take their grandkids where do you all fit into this picture? Well, we have several things where we try to get kids to connect with the Pontiac history. And oddly enough, you know, John DeLorean is one of our segues to that because even younger kids still know Back to the Future and they know the DeLorean car. And so when we talk about that, they can connect with that. And then we say, well, John DeLorean, he, he helped you know his time at Pontiac when he was general manager and engineer helped create the GTO and the Trans Am and a lot of these you know the iconic Pontiac cars so uh, we have a display case too that has a lot of Pontiac toys and of course the kids are always drawn younger kids of course in particular to the the case and that gives us another good place where we can kind of talk to them about the history through the toys and then for older kids, we have a lot of school groups come and some shop classes and such. And we'll, although we always have the hood up on a couple of the cars, we'll raise the hood up on all the cars, talk about the different drivetrains that Pontiac offered and the advances in engineering that they can claim, you know, over the years. Like we talked about that half an eight four cylinder and, uh, the Oakland that we have on display actually has a V8. It's one of the industry's first one-piece cast V8 blocks. So for the shop classes, we can offer a really good history of a lot of the, the drivetrains you know, that lead up to the modern drivetrain. So it, it's hard today, you know, uh, with the kids are so different than we were. Like when you go to the model car aisle at the store these days, you'll see some guy our age there instead of a kid and so it's a whole different thing uh, and they often relate to a video game or a car they saw in a video game uh, just a whole different idea and way of thinking about the cars than what we had. Do you ever get school tours where maybe you get uh, from like grades one to eight and they, they come in and spend an afternoon with you or... Uh, or we do, we Go do ahead. and... Uh, the teachers, you know, of course, will bring them and come, and and we try to uh, give. We always offer the tour, of course, and try to direct it towards their age group and things that they could associate with uh, with the car. So, um, yeah, and and just you never know. Sometimes it just takes that little spark, and they remember that years later, and and it helps them to either want to be you know a car enthusiast or that they want to be maybe in the museum industry uh, from their visit that you just have with them you never know yeah do you have a restoration shop or a garage where you do some work we do we have a garage it's just a couple blocks from the museum and 
it's kind of a slash storage slash workshop and I actually have a 70 judge I'm restoring down there right now when time permits and I'm really hoping this winter to make some big advancements on that and it's a mint turquoise uh, four-speed car hood tack and so uh, it's a rare color I'm yes very yes excited hope to get that done we're doing it perfectly original and so but judges have kind of floated to the surface of all the GTOs it's the judge and again John DeLorean was in on that and it's kind of a reflection of America's you know psychedelic 60s and all that so it always brings a smile when people see a judge you know yeah well so, Tim let me ask where do you where you have a rare color like that and and paint has changed so much since the 1960s what do you do about matching it? How do you, how do you go about... Uh... Well, they can match and mix about any color. They, we still have the formulas. And if not, you know, the, we have every paint chip nearly. You can imagine in our library. We have a huge library, by the way. And so you can actually take that paint chip and right out of the book, and they can scan that and match the paint to it. Yeah, but you end so, up you end up with a with a base coat, clear coat now, don't you? Or can you still? Yeah, be, yeah. yeah, you do these days. So yeah, the cars oftentimes are much nicer now than they were ever when they were <laughs> put together. Yes, and that's just kind of the evolution of the hobby and. Some of these guys will bring them into the show with little booties on the tires so they don't get the tires dirty and, and little, oh, little yes. bags over the clutch and the and, brake and always and, and always the bra on the front. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, and, yeah. Talk, go ahead. Talking about shows, and I, I may be wrong, and Steve's not here, and Steve was a national director of AACA, but... Isn't the Pontiac Oakland Club kind of under the umbrella now of AACA, the Antique Automobile Club of America? It is not. Oh, it is no. not. Okay. Nope. All right. Nope. All right. They're, it's an independent. Um, they have a, an Oakland Pontiac Worldwide chapter of AACA. Okay. Uh, but that's all what that is. The Pontiac Oakland Club, which started in 1972, is its own, it's the largest uh, Pontiac-related club, and then the GTO Association of America, which started in 1980, and uh, I was one of the ones that kind of helped start that when I was 20, and uh, so uh, those are the two uh, major clubs, and there is a Trans Am club, there's Fiero groups, there's all kinds of Pontiac clubs out there, people want to get involved, and they do a lot of wonderful events and help support charities and all kind of things. Oh, that's great. And this coming year, do you have any events actually at your museum that we could talk about? Well, we do. The third weekend of every September, we have an all Pontiac cruise and show at the museum. And this has turned into a major fundraiser for the museum. Uh, the city works very well with us and we literally block off all of downtown Pontiac and the beautiful 1875 courthouse on the square is the backdrop and the museum is right on the square downtown wow. so okay. uh, it's awesome to walk out and see Pontiacs everywhere <laughs> <laughs> how many cars show up 
Well, it grows every year, and we had 225 Pontiacs this last year. Wow. You know, now, now, Tim, if you'll remind us, if you'll put it down in your book and give us a call, say, in August, we'll, uh-huh. uh, we'll do another interview and, and talk about it. Uh, sure. And promote it. Okay. Yeah, yeah it really is a, an awesome event, and the, like I said, the city gets involved and works with us, and we have entertainment and the cruises to local collections and then the show of course you got the only pontiac museum in the world right there so it's just an awesome event oh that's that's neat it's it's just incredible what you've done with one brand i mean the the world is full of cars but you've taken one brand and focused on it and done such a phenomenal job with it and we congratulate you for that and also well, the fact you. that that you're bringing the youth in because that is so important today. And mm-hmm. uh, we're about ready to wrap up. I want to thank you, and I'm going to turn the mic over to David for a minute. Tim, once again, we want to thank you and uh, thank you for what you're doing. And uh, the email ad- or not the email address, but the website address is PontiacOaklandMuseum.org, and. Uh, Open 365 days a year, give or take a couple of days, and uh, and, right. and a couple of snow days thrown in there, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But uh, maybe. other than that, uh, you're there, ready to greet people, and we look forward to hearing back from you. And want to thank you again for being on the show today. Yeah, well, a, you're welcome. Thank ha- you for having me. Have a merry Christmas. You too. Thank you. We'll be back next week on the Classic Car Show. Stay tuned for more on America's Web Radio with Food and Farm coming up next. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.